0: So good morning, everybody. I, I hope that you guys are ready to take our next step in this series in Advent. Um, there are sem- several themes that are uh, present inside of our Advent time that I think our our hearts and our minds and our spirits are drawn to. And so what we've been doing over the past couple of weeks is we've been highlighting those themes or those major ideas. Uh, we've talked about hope so far. We've talked about peace and last week, Dylan Uh, brought us a message on joy, and what was interesting about, or what is interesting about this series is that each week I'm trying to give you guys an activity, something to do uh, when you go home that applies to the message, but also kind of... uh, Uh, illustrates the theme inside of your life and or whether it's something you go home and do or something you do here And so in week one we talked about a hope and and we we asked I asked you all to write down something that you're hopeful for And I told you that there are things hope is based in truth And I told you that the things that we hope for that are based in truth We should um, we should let those rest in Jesus. We know that he's got them We know that he will come through on his word. He's a promise making and a promise keeping God uh, I also shared with you that there are many hopes that we have that are not based in truth. And in those instances, what we need to do is we actually just need to nail them to the cross. We need to give them over to Jesus. Not just give to Jesus, but surrender to Jesus. Uh, what we want to do is have Jesus reestablish or re, uh, yeah, reestablish our hopes uh, four hopes that are based at truth. And so we talked about that, and these represent several of the um, the hopes that you all had, and, and whether those are given to Jesus or nailed to the cross to surrender, uh, we put those up there. And then in week two, we talked about peace, and I asked for you guys to write down something that um, that brought you, something that gave you peace, something that gave you some sort of uh, comfort inside of the season. And you wrote those things down and put those inside of the, the manger, because again, those piece, uh, that peace and that uh, truth rests inside of Jesus. And then last week, uh, Dylan asked of, or talked to you about joy, and the challenge last week was to go home and to start journaling, instead of an Advent calendar where you're opening the Advent calendar and taking chocolate and whatever cool things you got, uh, instead you're writing down things that you're joyful for. Uh, I would highly encourage everybody here to practice some sort of gratitude journaling at some point in your life. Uh, There are many really amazing things that God has done for us. And oftentimes, they're, they're not ready in our mind because we're not focusing on them. We're not paying attention. And then what happens is we often look back and go, what has God done for me lately? And we kind of are judging God and we're kind of upset about the way life is turning out. And I will promise you that if you really analyze your life, you will see that God has done a great many things. And so we talked about joy. And this week, we're gonna talk about love and I have a, a challenge for you at the end. I really challenge you when we get to the very last piece of this message today, um, that you would, you would open your mind and your heart to the things that I'm going to give you, they are they're absurdly practical steps. Some of them may be like, yeah, no duh, Nathan, I, I do this kind of stuff all the time. And that's awesome if that's what you are and what you do. Um, but some of you are looking for ways to actually uh, to act out love inside of your life. And I want to encourage you that you can do this. Uh, in all of the types of love and all the ways that we talk about love today. So, we've talked about hope, we've talked about peace, we've talked about joy, and today we delve into this profound and multifaceted uh, thing that is referred to as love. We're going to explore the different dimensions that are revealed within the Scripture, and we're going to use uh, a person to help us illuminate this along the way, and that person is C.S. Lewis, and we're going to be using some of the ideas that he communicates in his book, The Four Loves. Uh, we're going to begin the exploration, though, with this, this idea of love that is referred to as agape love. This is a love that is unconditional. This is a love that is sacrificial. Now, C.S. Lewis paints uh, uh, some, some of the most beautiful pictures, I think, of, of these complex ideas. And he does so, he articulates love, agape in particular, this way, in which he starts by saying agape is disinterested love. Now, that doesn't sound too appealing, but let's explore what he means by this. Agape is disinterested love. Agape does not begin by discriminating between worthy and unworthy people or any qualities that people possess. It begins by loving others for their sake. Now, this is a powerful way to love if we can actually do it. The scripture tells us that God's plan for humanity's redemption actually began in a staggering period of time the staggering period of time is before the foundation of the world we often just take this as a weird phrase and we say it we think it's poetic we think it's cute we think it's nice but we really need to process what that means before the foundation of the world okay so what are humans created upon the world right When do humans sin and fall short of God's glory? Once they're created. When did God foreordain our redemption? Before we were a thought in anyone's mind but his own. What does that communicate about what God knew about us? Seems to be that he knows we will fall short. Okay? it seems, actually, rather than the, uh, the harsh views that God knew we were wretched, miserable, nothings, I actually think it's a better picture to say God understood the process he was creating, and that process was a process of trial and error. Not on his part, on our part. We are a people who have to learn, and learning requires doing what needs to be done, doing what doesn't need to be done so that we can learn from it. It's this constant ebb and flow. It's a lifelong learning process. This is what God created. And in knowing that, he knows that we are a people who are going to need redemption. We're going to need restored. We're going to need a way to be brought back into his loving arms because the most common result of falling short is uh, is us running away, right? Right? When you fall short of somebody's love, when you fall short of somebody's expectation and you feel you don't measure up, how likely are you to just go, hey, I just wanted you to know I don't measure up today. Let's try again tomorrow. Most people don't do that. They're shame-filled and they run. And this is exactly what Adam and Eve do in the garden. They're filled with shame and they hide from God. God knew that that would be the case. So when we talk about love, we have to understand that God, in this disinterested love, in this, in this love that doesn't discriminate between worthy and unworthy, in a love that, that doesn't take into consideration the qualities that people possess, but simply loves for their sake, God wrote into the story our redemption. John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I I love stressing this because it's right there in the text, but I, I love the fact that God did not say, or the scripture does not say, for God loved the world, so he gave. I love the fact that the text says, for God so loved the world that he gave. This communicates something a lot bigger than just, hey, I love him, I don't want him to die. This is a love that goes beyond himself so that we can be redeemed. So God so loves us. And I don't want to make too much out of something, but I want to make enough out of it that you see there's something bigger going on here. There's a a disposition of God towards his people. So in Advent, during the Advent season, one of the things that people were awaiting was a restored relationship with Yahweh a restored relationship with God, whether a Jew or somebody who had some sort of religious understanding, uh, you, you all know the expression of needing to discover meaning in life, needing to understand why you're here, what is the purpose, and the story of the scripture actually communicates that the purpose is a relationship with God. This is big. The purpose of your life in this world is not to create the world's greatest business. Do it. That'd be awesome. Bring glory to God. That's amazing. Your purpose in this life is not to be the greatest of artists. Do it. Great. It's awesome. Bring glory to God. Your purpose in this life is actually to abide in a relationship with the living God. That's what we're all made for. And when that relationship gets broken, we're all longing, and so we ask the questions that we ask. Why am I here? What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of all of this? And whether you understand it yet or not, all of those answers are actually, or all those questions are answered in the relationship that we have with God. We just need to discover it, right? And so with Advent, people are looking for this this relationship. They're looking for this reunion with the creator God. And Jesus comes to do it, and he comes to do it because God so loved us that he made it happen. He so loved us that he made it happen. Now, who were we before this great act of love? The first thing that I want you to take away is that we were a people in process, and we are lifelong learners, and we will always be that. This is really important uh, as a breakdown between uh, understanding ourselves as people in process and people who are worthless. We are not worthless, even even with an immense amount of sin in our lives. You are not worthless. Why? Because God knows. He understands you. He sees who you are. He knows what he made. He understands your ups, your downs. He understands it all. God loves you, right? And so he so loves you, he recognizes who you were before, a person that is a process learner. But we also need to call a spade a spade, right? We don't need to shy away from these things. God gives us titles for a reason. In Romans chapter 3, 21 through 24, we actually discover who we are before God's great act of love. Romans 3, 21 starts this way, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. So what are the law and the prophets testifying towards? The actual righteousness of God. What did we miss? The actual righteousness of God. We missed it. We thought the law and the prophets were the righteousness of God. They testify to it. The next verse goes on and says, The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. If righteousness is given by God to all those who believe, what is righteousness? Righteousness is a declaration from God to us. That's what righteousness is. And that righteousness comes only one way. By grace, through faith in King Jesus, right? This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Now before we get to that famous line there, this is really important for our understanding. There is no difference in this world between Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. There's no difference. It's not that distinctions are not real, it's that no distinction separates you from a place before God. Because faith is the, uh, the, universal, uh, uh, the universal money, monetary system. It is how you access this. You put your trust in God. And he has given you all things uh, pertinent to his kingdom. So there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. So Paul goes on to say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Lifelong learners, what is true of every person in this room? You've all sinned. We've all sinned. We've all fallen very short of the glory of God. But look at this. All are justified freely by what? Getting their act together. No, that's not what it says. We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So what was the position of God towards us? He so loved us. Where were we at in this uh, original place? Sinning and falling short of God, separated from him. What kind of love is required to love us despite our humanity? Agape. It's a disinterested love. It's not a love that says, ah, Mike Frankhauser's worthy. But Sarah is not. That's not what happens. God says, You are my children. You are my creation. You are the ones who bear my image, and I'm going to love you. Accepting that is hard. Accepting who we are sometimes is hard. This is why we need to understand the right framing. We are lifelong learners. We are people who fall short, but God still loved us. So, who were we before this great act of love? We were sinners. We were those who fell short. What was the ultimate consequence had Jesus not acted on humanity? What was the consequence? Romans 6, and 23 tells us very clearly. But now that you have been set free from sin and have been become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Now, just so you know, that is not the consequence of our old self. That is the result of the mercy of, of God. The consequence is in the next line, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now we can read this through an absurdly negative lens, and we can say God is just waiting for those to sidestep so he can kill them, but you can also understand it, what I believe to be rightly, and that is anything apart from God is death. So if you are sin, if you are sinner, a sinner and you fall short of God and there is no uh, reconciliation, what is the result of, of existence outside of God? Non existence, death. It is it's lifelessness. Amen? That's not what we want. So this is what God has come to fix. So the consequences of this are in fact, or was in fact, death. But not only is there grace in all of this. Uh, unending, uh, not only is there grace, there's unending protective grace. This is where I think we have a message that changes the world around us. Uh, The message that we have is that once we are putting our trust in God, there is nothing that can interfere with that. Nothing that can interfere with that. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now here's what I do think you need to uh, be aware of as you walk out the Christian life. You notice that the language there says anything else in all creation will be able to separate us seems to imply something very real, and I think all of you have experienced this in your life. Nothing will be able to, but many things will try. How many of you felt like there is nothing but resistance towards your walk with Jesus? People trying to push back, the enemy trying to push back. Listen, you know that I'm not a devil-behind-every-bush kind of guy, but you also know that I believe there's a real enemy, right? There is a real enemy, and he doesn't want us serving the living God, right? But the confidence we have, the assurance we have, is that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. So this pursuit in Advent of restored relationship with God or or this idea was to experience love. And Jesus comes and he literally is the embodiment of love, but he was sent because God loved and we are all recipients of that love. So what Advent does is it brings a restored relationship with God. When God loves us, what can we do? Stop hiding and start running back to him. We don't have to run away. We don't have to condemn ourselves. If God doesn't condemn you, I would highly suggest you don't condemn yourself. right? Otherwise, you're, you're playing a game that is hard on you, and you're, in some weird way, calling God a liar. <laughs> right? If he says you're redeemed, you're redeemed. So we have agape love. Moving from there, we, we run into this term of love in Greek called phileo, a deep and brotherly kind of affection. We find that C.S. Lewis says it this way, He, he notes, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. Now most of us live in this weird relationship with God in which we actually believe that God wants nothing to do with this in our lives. He's not our friend, he's just cosmic guy and he saves and condemns and all this other stuff. But we are actually supposed to become friends of the living God. Did you know that? And what's really amazing about becoming a friend of God is that we come into the realization of the things that are pure and holy and good, and so it's, it's instead of two earthly friends going, oh, I never knew somebody else liked this, it's us having this revelation of, oh, that's what good is. And God's over there going, yep, and there's more where that came from, Right? He is your friend. He wants to to engage with you in this way. And this was what people were waiting for. How many of you read the stories in the Old Testament and you read this guy, this character named David, and the scripture says that he's a man after God's heart, and whether you don't get hung up on men, women thing, but the idea that he was a man after God's heart, how many of you would say, that is the relationship I want with God? I want to be a man or a woman after God's heart. This is because David is a friend of God. David is something more. And so this is what we're pursuing. Each one of us, we're pursuing this, right? So uh, phileo is this friendship love. This type of love is woven into Jesus' command in John 13, 34, and 35. Here's what he says. A new command I give to you, Love one another. Now, you might look at that and say, yeah, but Nathan, that's just towards people. But look at what he, what he parallels it to. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Now, I know what, we're, what we can do with the actual words that are here in Greek. But what I'm trying to get to is this notion that God then says, no greater love is anyone than this, than one who would lay down their life for their friends. And this is what God has done for us. So we can understand that God views us this way. So 34 and 35, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's a love that transcends, impacting not only our relationship uh, with uh, with God, but our relationship with the world. So here again is another benefit of Advent or the, the love that came into the world. The love of God transforms our love for him and transforms our ability to love one another. This is what we're all about in this. 1 John 3.16 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And remember that scripture I just referenced a second ago. No greater love has anyone than this than one who would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus considered us a friend. So there's another aspect of love that we were waiting for in this season. The third is a controversial love. The third is eros. As we explore this eros, or this what is often short termed erotic love, it is better understood as an intimate or a passionate pursuit. And so I want to reflect again on C.S. Lewis's words. He said, eros will have naked bodies, Friends, naked personalities. Now that just puts us right into that category of sex, and that's what we're thinking. But what we need to understand about the knowing of the Bible, this getting to know someone or, or nakedness or whatever we might look at, uh, the idea is an unbridled knowing. Does that make sense? Right. When a husband and wife know each other, there's nothing in the way anymore. There's an intimate knowing. There's a knowing that transcends what our blockades are, right? And so Eros seems to be this kind of uh, intimate and passionate pursuit that doesn't have any boundaries or borders. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus stands at the door pursuing an intimate relationship with his church. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This is passionate love and it is further exemplified when we put all of these uh, strange analogies together and we see in Ephesians 5 that God actually sees the church as his bride and grooms and brides do things, church. So Ephesians 5.25 portrays Christ's sacrificial love for the church as what a husband ought to do. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Israel wanted their groom. Israel had gone through many things, including divorce from the living God. Israel had faced many setbacks. And what they wanted out of a Messiah, out of a Savior, was one who would restore love. Not just, a dis, uh, um, uh, in some ways, a dispassionate love or a, a love that doesn't take into con- consideration what you've done right or wrong. And not just a friendship love, but an intimate love with the living God. This is what Israel was longing for, and whether we know it or not, this is truly what the whole world is longing for. The fourth and final love is this uh, love that is strange, storge love, it's just hard to, strange in pronunciation, This is a familial love or an affectionate bond. This goes beyond the love of a groom towards his bride. This is the way a father loves his children or the way a family loves one another. C.S. Lewis remarks this way. He says, affection is responsible for nine-tenths of whatever solid and durable happiness there is in our lives. And this is the kind of love we're talking about, right? Affection is responsible for nine-tenths of whatever solid and durable happiness there is in our lives. How many of you actually believe that God wants to be affectionate towards you, like a father to his children? We put God into this category, and we say, okay, he loves us, he's God, right? Or, sure, there's this weird, strange metaphor of him being a a groom and we're a bride, whatever. But we often don't think, He's my dad. He wants to walk with me. He wants to talk with me. He wants to know how my life is going and how, I mean, he knows, but, but he wants to hear me talk about these things. Romans 12, 10 beautifully captures the essence of familial love within the body of Christ. It says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. This is how God loves you. Why does he honor us? Above himself. And in case you were wondering how that's possible, leaving his throne to come condescend to humanity and take on the abuse and the the pain that he goes through for our redemption is a God who actually puts himself back. That is fascinating to me. But this devotion is a devotion to one another in love, honoring above ourselves. This familial bond is further echoed in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. This, again, will be on the screen. Emphasizing, though, the reciprocal nature of love within the community of believers. 1 John 4, verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us, Translation, no one has ever seen God, but when you love like he does, they do. That's the point of it. No one has ever seen God, but when you'll actually love the way he commands, when you'll love with agape, with phileo, with eros, with storge, in their appropriate uh, context, when you love this way, people see Jesus. This is the beautiful nature of love. All of these pieces are what, were, uh, what people were longing for in Advent. So it's wonderful to, to say that we want hope. Great. But what is one of our hopes? A God who loves you and wants a relationship with you. Every day. He wants to talk to you. He wants to hear what you're struggling with. He wants to hear even when you're mad at him. Show of hands. How many of you have ever gotten upset with God? How many of you have let God have it? Denise knows this very well, just recently, right? You know that it's okay? I say this all the time. God's got big shoulders. (laughs) He's not intimidated by you. It wouldn't matter how deeply you breathed in and how big you puffed your chest out. God's going, okay. You ready to calm down, right? But he's going to listen to you, and he actually wants to listen to you. Read the Psalms. You'll see a David who does the same thing. He's livid with God, and then he comes to trust and understand who God is. This is a familial type of love. This is storge. This is what God came to uh, rectify, to bring back together, which is beautiful. So the benefit of Advent, again, and I hope you'll take this away, is that the love of God that first came for us, not that we loved him first, that before the foundation of the world, before we were a a twinkle in anyone's eye but God's, God foreordained our redemption. The love of God that he has given transforms our love for others and for him. You want to love God well, you must receive his love because he's the the definer of love. You want to love others well, you must understand God's love. You will, never love, you will never love fully unless you understand the fullness of God's love. I'm not saying, therefore, that you will love poorly, but you will not love completely. If you want to view that as poorly, that's fine. But what I'm getting at is you won't ever give fully or sacrificially or with everything that is in you if you don't know that's what love is. And every time you look at God, that's what you discover that love is. So here is what I want you to do as we, as we conclude. I'm going to give you your activity. So if you guys will take out a piece of paper, get yourself ready for this. Um, I want you to understand before I tell you what to do that you are going to, um, you are going to be challenged uh, when you're trying to understand God. Uh, you're going to be challenged in understanding God's love because God is in many ways other than we are, okay? God is not encumbered by greed or hatred or all these weird things that we are stuck with. So he doesn't fall short. We do. Why I'm saying this is that you will hopefully uh, spend more time studying God in his fullness and who he really is, but I, I also hope that you will give yourself a measure of grace that understands that sometimes when you're trying to enact love in this world, it's it's hindered by all the baggage you carry. How many of you have been severely hurt in your life? Let's just say you've been mentally, physically, or emotionally abused in your life. Right. How hard is it for you to love people in light of that? Pretty hard? Pretty difficult? It's not like it just flows out of you, right? All I'm getting at is there's mercy for that. There's mercy in that because unlike God, we are encumbered by things and he has grace while we're working through this. But what I do want you to do is not let that become an excuse for your life. I want you to continue to peer into the majesty that is God, the fullness that is God, and try to understand what it looks like to love unbridled. What it looks like to love the way God would love. So here's what I want you to do as you work through um, this week. I want you to, on your piece of paper, I want you to write down a single name. Now before you write anything down, let me tell you what this person represents. This name represents a person that has not loved you well. This is a person that has not loved you well, but is a person that you are willing to, and you should be willing for all, but I understand, and there is mercy. Is a person that has not loved you well, but you are willing um, to be like Christ towards this person and love this person in this Advent season in in the way that God loved you, right? Right? A disinterested love, not worthy or unworthy, but just for your sake. I want you to write down the name of a person that you are willing to love during this Advent season. And that's going to take some actions, and I'm going to give you some details here in a second. But you're willing to love the way God loved you so long ago. Take some time. Think about that name and write it down. You're not turning this in. It's not going in the manger or on the cross. This is staying with you. I want you to write down that name. I want you to think back through what we talked about this morning in agape love, an unconditional sacrificial love, not because this person is worthy of anything. I want you to be willing to show this person phileo love, a brotherly or sisterly affection because that's what God has done for you. I want you to show this person in a right context an eros love, an intimate and passionate pursuit because that's the way God pursues his bride. And finally, in this storge love, which is to see them insofar as it depends on you, to see them and to love them with an affectionate bond, a familial bond. I want you to write that name down and I want you to keep it close to you. Here are a couple of ways that you might do this. And I want to challenge everybody here to do this in this Advent season. I'll tie in why it's important. So the first would be agape love, unconditional and sacrificial love. One thing that you might do, even with the person that's name is listed on your paper, is to perform an act of kindness for this person that expects nothing in return and maybe doesn't even have your name attached to it. I want you to think of something, some way, in which you could love them, leave them an encouraging note, help them do a task. They would definitely know who you are at that point. But right, do something for them that has no strings attached to it whatsoever. That's one option. Second option, and maybe the harder option for the person that you've put on this paper, is you could extend forgiveness to a person tell them why is this important because the thing the world was waiting for was a god to forgive us and when he came we rejoiced there were people who saw that the consolation of israel had had arrived That all things were done in this moment. And there's a person who has hurt you that is waiting for that. They might not even know it. But your act of forgiveness might show it. It might bring it to their attention. To forgive somebody. Let go of the grudge you're holding. Trust me. I hate this message just as much as you do right now. Let go of the grudge. Let go of the justification of all the things that you can point to and how they were wrong. Just let it go. And if you do that, you are literally walking in that first type of love in Advent. And by the way, when we do these kinds of love, what did I just say happens? Just a little while ago, I said, no one has ever seen God, but if we love like God, then they have. Why is this important? Not so you can check off some box and say, I do my forgiving part. I don't have to go to hell now. It's not the point. The point is that God would be manifest in the world. That God would be seen. So you could perform a random act of kindness. You could do forgiveness and extend that to somebody. You could let go of the grudges and embrace any kind of healing that can come from this. And listen, if they respond in a negative way, insofar as it depends on you live at peace, other than that, walk free and clear knowing that you reflected God into the world. Amen? Number two, phileo, something you could do with the person that you're dealing with, or maybe this is beyond that, or this is something you do once forgiveness is given. I encourage you during Advent to actually spend some time connecting with each other. I'm not saying ride the same bus as each other, visit the same house as each other, participate in the same church service as others. I'm talking about connecting with others for people to know who you are and what you're going through. Reach out to friends or family members that you haven't spoken to in a while. How many of you have family members you've not spoken to in over five years? Raise your hand. Give it a shot, give it a shot. Maybe they're people that you need to forgive. Maybe they need to forgive you. I don't know your story, but try it, right? Reach out to family, reach out to friends that you haven't talked to in a while. Take time when you're at family events or, or gatherings such as this. Take time to catch up. Share your experiences. Share what's going on in your life. But here's what I would highly recommend you do. Express a genuine interest in another's life. <laughs> right? Not engage with them because you can get something out of it. Right? But just... Express interest. See how they're doing, right? That's it, period. Second one for phileo or brotherly affection would be something like participating in some sort of community event. This is what Mike Van Fleet leads us in in Mercy Works on Tuesday nights. There are many opportunities, church. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are countless opportunities to help people in need, right? It's not like there's a shortage of it. So find something in which you can reach out, participate in some sort of local event, volunteer, whatever it is, build connections within that community. I know that that in the business world is called networking and you don't have to do it for an end game. Just simply saying, be a person of brotherly affection and kindness. This is what we're trying to do. Why am I telling you again to do it? Because no one has seen God And yet, when we love the way he does, they do, right? Why are we doing it? Do we not want the world to see Jesus? We do. How many of you feel like 100% confident in evangelism and you're ready to preach a sermon to people on the street corner? Raise your hands. Oh, there's not a lot of hands raised up. How many of you feel confident that you could show somebody love in the grocery store? Yeah, okay, try that one. Take a stab at it, right? Community events, volunteering, whatever it is. Okay, let's deal with eros, intimate or a passionate pursuit. Now, this is where you have to understand your context, but think about this. You could spend quality time with the people you love, like your kids or your spouse or something. Don't let let Advent go by and miss that opportunity to be close to those that you love, right? Plan some sort of special event that you guys can do together, engage In whatever activities like go see Christmas lights and be close to each other just share that moment and you know what will happen if you do that the very thing that we've been talking about Steph and I have been talking about this since the beginning of the Advent series and since the beginning of teaching on Advent years and years ago keep rearranging the sermon different ways it's the same message and that is how do we recapture the the majesty and the beauty and the glory of this season. You do the things God says to do. That's how you recapture it. How many of you have lost the fascination with Christmas lights and Christmas trees and presents and people? I have many, many times over. What do I do to overcome it? Keep going. Keep going. Regain that fascination. Set the right why. Understand the story for what it is and then engage with it, right? It's just personal stuff that you probably, who knows if you you find this interesting you may have traveled this journey yourself but we as a family have gone through we've ridden a roller coaster uh, over many years. John and Kathy can speak to this. My mom and dad can speak to this. Sarah definitely can speak to this. Um, we've gone run, run a roller coaster over many years of presence, no presence. How much is too much? How much is too little? Commercialization, non-commercialization. Make this about Jesus. Don't make this about you. Like We've done that so many times. Am I alone? Anybody else do that? Right? It's so frustrating, isn't it? And while we're doing this in this effort to be the purest and most amazing Christians that have ever existed, right? We all of a sudden lost the whole point of Christmas. We're like, well, that was miserable as crap, right? How many of you have done that? You're like, I am so determined to make this good, it sucks. It's exactly what's happened many times. We were out shopping for the girls and Sarah's like, okay, what's the budget? And I'm like, you know what? To heck with the budget. Now, that doesn't mean I'm just wasting all the money. But I'm like, I just don't even care now. If you want to buy that for somebody, let's do it. Why? I remember when I was a kid, the fascination of Christmas. I remember the things that I experienced. And I was raised in a broke family like most of you, right? And so uh, I I was enamored by Christmas. It had this majesty. It had this spirit to it. It had this joy to it. And then I became a dad, and somewhere along the way, I lost it, right? I hope my girls haven't lost it. I hope the people around me haven't lost it. But I was driving down the road at some point and chucked it out the window. I don't know where it went, but I'm trying to regain it. But in regaining it, what I found is that I have to get back to the meaning, and then I have to get back to the actions, just the actions. My mind and my heart follow my actions. It's unbelievable. If I will give a gift, I'm joyful. If I try to make myself joyful to give a gift, (laughs) not the same result. Not the same result. It's quite weird. So Eros love, quality time. Spend it with those you love. Play on special times. Go to to Christmas lights. Go Go to whatever. Engage in activities that will deepen an emotional connection with your kids expressive acts, write a letter, create some sort of personalized gift. The reason why this even came to my mind is because I have daughters. And they are, they're just thoughtful human beings. They're like, you know what we should do? We should write a card to so-and-so. And I'm like, with that handwriting, it doesn't matter to them, right? right? I'm so much of a fuddy-duddy and an old man that I'm like, this has got to be done over. Let's type this out. Let's format this properly. And they're like, Dad, shut up, right? They never, they never tell me that. Don't worry. But it's really interesting. I watch them get creative. I watch them come alive. And I'm like, huh, I lost that somewhere. Try that. Express it to the people around you. Write them a note. Buy somebody a present that you wouldn't think is expecting it. Just buy it for them. Don't expect anything in return. Give it to them and just watch how they respond. After the discomfort, they will be happy, right? You know, like, crap, I don't have a gift for you, right? You know, after that will thing. Finally, store gay in, in practical ways, right? Um, how many of you know tradition is not always bad? It's amazing. How many of you know some traditions are crap? Yes, okay, that's good, right? But all traditions are not bad. And it's not about finding the the absolute nature of a tradition somewhere hidden in the text of Scripture. Sometimes you can participate in a good tradition that just so happens to be something your family made up. Unless you're worshiping the devil, it's fine, right? Right? Unless that's what's happening, do it. So if you're a family that loves to make Christmas cookies together and give them to your pastor, the Bird family, please keep this going, right, so that I can enjoy that, right? That's what I'm saying. And give random gifts with no expectation of a return gift. (laughs) So the point that I'm getting at is tradition is not always bad. And tradition has this really magnificent way of capturing again the beauty of what we do the why we do it so i would encourage you to find a tradition make something up if your family is new and starting do something right this could include baking together baking for me decorating the house participating in advent activities this is fascinating how long ago steph was it for you and your family you started doing advent calendars you said this was eons ago right Okay, so when Mackenzie was a baby, and Mackenzie is now how old? And she goes, Mom, where's my Advent calendar? <laughs> i like, like, okay, maybe when we're 40, we're still demanding Advent calendar. Whatever. If it's your tradition, have fun with it. it, it there's a way of recapturing the beauty of it, right? Um, next thing for the, f- uh, the family affection and bond. Be a supportive presence for family members that are going through challenging times. There's a reason why depression is at an all-time high during the holiday seasons. Um, losses uh, hit differently during these times. Um, the, the people that are missing, the, 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 the things that are missing in our life, they hit very different during, uh, during celebrations. Be supportive during that time. Be supportive during that. If, you, if you're a person who hasn't gone through a loss, Good. Be mindful of those who have and just try to encourage them. Try to be there by their side. It's really important. Offer a listening ear. uh, Provide encouragement. Please do so genuinely, right? Listen and want to listen, right? Um, Demonstrate the sense of solidarity in in times, uh, in these times, or especially if it's a time of need. Be together with one another. So we've talked about, again, a lot in this. We've talked about hope. We've talked about joy. We've talked about uh, peace. We've communicated love in vastly different ways and how that might play in. Next week, Christmas Eve, uh, our normal service, 10 o'clock, we're going to come together and we're going to finish this whole thing off by talking about the symbol of light within the context of Advent, what it really means for Jesus to be the light of the world and what that actually means for all of us. It's going to play into things like what we understand about truth. It's going to play into understanding on how we should interact with darkness, how we should interact with the evils of our world. And then it hopefully will give you a great, great sense of encouragement that those who waited for Jesus to come found when finally their king was on the scene right? There is something about this that should give each and every one of us the ability to rest, the ability to know God is in control. Amen.